Ladies and gentlemen, moving on to our next presentation, Navigating Through Uncertainty, Market Outlook and Key Investment Themes by Mr. David Chow, Global Market Strategist, Asia Pacific, Earth Invesco. A big round of applause, please, to welcome Mr. David Chow. สวัสดีครับอ่าเป็นชื่อคุณเดวิดชาวอ่ามาจากที่ฮ่องกงนะครับอ่าผมจะเป็นลูกครึ่งแต่ว่าวันนี้อันนี้มีกลัวผู้
And other countries such as uh, China um, and India continue to experience high growth rates, but are actually growing below their trend growth rate. Whereas countries like Russia and South Africa, these commodity-dependent countries, they continue to grow at lower than expected levels. Whereas countries like South Korea, Mexico, they're very much impeded by, the glo by global trade growing at slower levels. And so if we think about, comparatively speaking, we are in a relatively modest economic slowdown. This slide here talks about the trade war. And this morning, uh, we had uh, actually Secretary Wilbur Ross from the US, uh, Commerce Secretary, who actually is in Thailand, in Bangkok, for the Indo-Pacific Summit. So that's happening up in by Impact Arena. And we have positive comments come from Wilbur Ross and also from the White House administration saying that we are very close to a trade deal. But you know the phrase, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, right? So how many times have we been fooled about a potential deal? But I would actually argue this time around, there actually seems to be some material progress towards a trade resolution. Specifically, what we're talking about in the phase one deal is you know, some of the more easy things that both Beijing and Washington can agree upon, such as the trade imbalance, as well as some framework around the RMB, as well as some of the issues uh, surrounding um, IP protections. So these are some of the easier issues which I would argue would allow both uh, President Xi and President Trump to both declare that they have a win-win situation. And so I expect a near-term resolution, a near-term deal, and this should actually be good for the markets. So what we saw the markets do today was actually rally into this news, and I expect some positive news flow from now until the end of the year. Actually, I expect positive news flow from both Brexit, uh, the U.S.-China trade war, and some of the Hong Kong protests that we're seeing. In, um, you know, a lot of it you know, is happening on the weekends, but overall the trend appears to be moderating in terms of the number of people involved. So I would dare argue, I would dare say we are in a period called the calm before the storm. Okay, so the calm meaning we are seeing some remediation on things like the U.S.-China trade war. We have Brexit potential. The, the deadline's been extended, but it seems like the parliament is willing to accept the deal with the EU. And so I think because of these issues, these moderations, investor appetite for risk assets should actually grow. So we would, I expect to see uh, markets, especially in the US, um, in the UK, as well as in Asia, start to rally. We recently also saw a Fed, Federal Reserve in the US cut interest rates for uh, the third time, another 25 basis points. And the reason I have this slide here is because I want to show what I previously said. Every time that we've had a recession in the past, it was because the Federal Reserve or central banks were raising interest rates, right? They were raising interest rates because there was inflation concerns, right? So when you raise interest rates, that basically uh, discourages economic activity and has pushed 
the U.S. into times of recession. But this time around, we saw interest rates being raised last year in 2018. And that's when there was a lot of fear that policy missteps from the, from the central bank in the U.S. would lead us into a recessionary environment. But we all know that has changed. Right? In 2019, the Federal Reserve reversed course, and instead of increasing interest rates, they have started cutting interest rates. And most recently, we saw the cut come uh, last week, and the Fed announced that they stand ready to loosen economic policy, to loosen monetary policy and interest rates if things like the U.S.-China trade war heats up. So even in the midst of potential uncertainties, and I expect uncertainties to continue next year, we have this countervailing force of central banks around the world, including the Bank of Thailand, including all the Asian central banks, to be cutting interest rates. And this should boost risky assets in the time being. If we think about where China stands, right, China is probably the most important player um, in Asia. And it's really important for, for, for us to understand what are the levers that the PBOC, that the Chinese government can do. And I would actually argue China is very different than the U.S., right? In the U.S., we watch the Fed very carefully what they can do, um, if they cut interest rates um, and then some of the quantitative easing. But China is a different animal because Beijing is, you know, uh, you know, they control both monetary policy, fiscal policy, industrial policy, state-owned enterprises, and so they have a lot of levers to pull. Right? So if the, if the economy is slowing down, as we see it is, the PBOC has seven different levers that they can pull. Instead of just cutting interest rates, they can have all these other uh, uh, levers that they can pull to make borrowing cheaper. They can flood the market with liquidity. They have a lot of things that they can do. And so what we've seen so far is we've seen the, uh, the reserve ratio requirement for banks come down. So this is an example of China loosening monetary policy. And what we can expect for the remainder, for the next 12 months, we're going to see China pick up in the fiscal stimulus. They're going to spend more money at the provincial level, uh, building infrastructure. However, I would argue this fiscal stimulus, though, will happen, will have more of a domestic effect. So unlike the fiscal stimulus that we saw 10 years ago when China spent a trillion US dollars and basically lifted Asia out of you know, the, um, the great financial crisis, uh, China this time, that effect will not happen again. So the fiscal stimulus that China will employ this time around will have more of a measured subdued effect. But if we have both monetary stimulus as well as fiscal stimulus, we'll, we can expect the Chinese economy still, to still grow in that 6% range. So I think that um, if we have uh, both China and the U.S. stimulating their economy either through monetary policy or through fiscal stimulus, that should actually benefit Asian economies like Thailand, emerging uh, Asia. This slide again shows where we stand in terms of stock market performance as well as interest rate and monetary policy. So I have two examples, both here and here. 
So if we look at from June 15 to December 15, there was a peak to trough period of 14%. The S&P 500 index in the US fell 15, around 14% when there were tighter conditions, when the Federal Reserve employed tighter monetary conditions in the US. And also, again, peak to trough. We all remember 2018. That was a horrible year. I think every asset class was down, right? And so peak to trough was negative 20%. But we're, what did we see this year when we had three interest rate cuts? We saw the S&P rally. We saw all risk assets actually rally and do very well. Um, so I would argue that we are in a period to follow where there are easier conditions and that risk assets should do well uh, in this environment. So where do we stand in terms of the US dollar? So similarly, if we look at areas when the Fed is tightening, we see that the dollar rallies, the dollar becomes stronger, right? So higher interest rates, higher policy rates support higher interest rates, and global investors want to bring their money back into the US. But in the instances where we have the Fed loosening monetary policy, that actually has the effect of weakening the US dollar as investors around the world, they start taking their money out of like treasuries or out of the US dollar into places like emerging markets. However, I would argue this time around, because we are seeing central banks from around the world loosen economic policy, I expect the US dollar to basically remain currently where it is. The US dollar should remain relatively strong against um, emerging market assets. Because emerging market countries, uh, central banks continue to be loosening their monetary policies as well. So we'll see this synchronized uh, global central bank monetary easing for 2020. I think that's, that's a trend that we expect. Now, I'd like to look at um, emerging markets uh, to be supported by attractive valuations. And if we look at where, oops, if we look at where the US stands in terms of valuation, you know, the US is relatively pricey, relatively expensive. The S&P index is at a historical high level, trading around 20 times forward earnings. The, the average multiple is around 14 to 15 times. Right, so, so it is difficult to make an argument uh, to, to be sinking uh, investments into uh, developed markets like the US because of valuation. Now, if I look at uh, you know, other uh, developed markets like in Europe um, or even um, um, across the world, they're still relatively expensive. Emerging markets is relatively cheap. We are at a time point now where the gap between uh, developed markets and emerging markets valuation is the greatest for 10 years. The last time we've seen such a gap in valuation was 10 years ago. Okay, so if you want to think about um, investing in a longer term horizon, valuation does matter. Valuation and price does matter, right? And I would actually argue that ties have a golden ticket right now. The golden ticket is because your currency is so strong, 
right? So it's much easier, say, for you uh, to go to Japan for a ski trip or to Paris and buy, you know, your Chanel purses, things like that. So think about longer-term investments in this same mindset as well, right? This is a, I think this is a golden opportunity when you can use um, the strength of the local currency to think about looking at other emerging market assets, right? Because you have both the benefit of a potential foreign exchange benefit as well as a valuation disconnect that we see right here. Obviously, a strong bot, some would argue, is not so good for Thailand's export-led economy, and it makes Thailand's exports more expensive. But I think that one could also argue that, you know, with the U.S.-China trade war, we're continuing to see some of the supply chain shift down to places like Vietnam, Philippines, and maybe we've even seen some pickup in foreign direct investments into Thailand. So I think, that, I think that this is a situation where investors, savvy investors, can think about how they can, they can um, uh, benefit from this dislocation right now. If we think about uh, the global business outlook in terms of where economies are actually going, I would also argue that um, economies like India, we've seen you know, the economy kind of tumble recently uh, because of some of their credit issues um, that they've been having. But India actually is growing, is expected to grow uh, pretty significantly in the next few years. So they're going to see kind of a V-shaped uh, rebound. And China, um, although we continue to see decelerating growth, they're still the second largest economy in the world and still growing in the mid-single digits. And so the other countries like the EU, France, um, you know, they are decelerating to the extent that they're almost facing a technical recession, right? So Germany is very much impacted because Germany does a lot of trade with China. They sell a lot of um, expensive uh, equipment to, to China. Um, and the UK, Japan, actually we were quite um, you know, uh, uh, interested in looking at these, these developed markets because there are some kind of uh, dislocation, especially with Brexit on the UK. Um, you know, I, I think that some of the, the, the fears have been priced in already into UK equities. Um, and then Japan, uh, they recently instituted uh, this, this tax on um, consumer staples, and so we're uh, there is some, there's some speculation that this could potentially impact the consumption spending in Japan in the next month or two. But I think that it's an interesting opportunity now as we go into the Olympics. Um, I think that the, the markets there should rally um, into next summer. Now, if we look at interest rates um, and inflation, I want to impart upon you that we are now in a low inflation low interest rate environment. Low inflation and low interest rate. That's actually a pretty good environment for, for investors, especially with the longer term horizon, right? So where would you put your money? Would you put your money in negative yielding instruments like you know, a lot of the developed market bonds? Around one third of the world's bonds are now negative yielding. So we wouldn't recommend you do that, right? Because I think that inaccurately reflects the fear of a potential global recession. But I've already demonstrated to you that I don't think that the recession is coming, although we're seeing the growth slow down, but a recession is not coming.
So in a low inflation, low interest rate environment, uh, risk assets such as equities should do well. Now, if we look at real rates, um, we'll see them declining in the U.S. Uh, to around uh, levels that we haven't seen uh, since 2016. This year was the first time in 10 years that the U.S. started cutting interest rates. Okay, we have to keep that in mind, that we are in this new paradigm where we should see continued uh, easing in monetary policy across the world. And I can't emphasize that enough in terms of the impact that has on economic activity. Well, that was my last slide. I thought I had one more slide to go. But I'd just like to impart uh, some of my final words. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we like emerging market assets over developed market assets because of both the growth profile of EM Asia over the growth profile of, say, the US or the EU. We also think that the valuation disconnect is so great that it will, it will have to uh, um, you know, garner investors to take a look at EM. And so, so if we think about the environment that we're in, I think that the risks have also moderated. And so I think that we have a window of time, right? So this is, this is kind of the calm before the storm. So the calm, I think that it's a period that investors can think about where they want to position their assets. But I think 2020 will be another year filled of political, geopolitical uncertainties. And so I think that the phase two agreement between the US and China, those issues are very, very thorny, and I don't think that they, should, they will be easily hashed out. So those issues are on things like forced technology transfers, as well as opening China's market access, and also enforcement of some of these, um, these uh, agreements between the US and China. So these are thorny issues that I don't think will be easily solved. And we all know uh, President Trump is unpredictable and he loves to kind of you know, throw on the tariffs um, last minute. I think the threat of that happening, um, again, is very, very high. Um, also, we have to think about the uncertainties of the US presidential election in 2020. And I don't think that the stock markets around the world um, are discounting a Democrat uh, presidential um, president um, in 2020. So these are some of the political uncertainties that I think are very important that will continue to stick with us. But I think that investors that, are, that, are, that stick for a much longer time period of investing, that remain diversified, and that look into um, assets where they can score a bargain that they should do very well over time. Okay.